Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, fans of Takeaways, and welcome to 2024. Here is another NAOP Southern Nevada program recap. To kick off the year, NAOP organized a developer panel for the January breakfast, and that is appropriate. It's appropriate considering that NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Industry. The panelists included Matt Nelson, Vice President of Brokerage Services with J.A. Kennedy, Matthias Hughes, Vice President Investment Officer with Prologis, and Frank Stefan, President for the Nevada Region with Howard Hughes. And to moderate, they brought in a real, real heavyweight. I'm talking about Sabrina Borgoff, Vice President of Business Development with Martin Harris Construction. And the program sponsor that morning was also Martin Harris Construction. All right. I love these developer panels. Uh, They start out the year with this because NAOP is the Developers Association. So they brought in these panelists. They had Matt covering retail, Matthias covering industrial. Frank primarily, I believe, was there to talk about office. But because of what he does at Howard Hughes, he also covered other sectors like land, single family, uh, multifamily, mixed use. They have a lot going on. Sabrina guided the panelists expertly. Uh, they started with sharing their, their respective recaps of 2023, what their, what their experiences were, uh, what they're working on going into this year, and she even teased out some predictions that they each expect before the end of the year. The room, by the way, was absolutely packed. Like, I'm talking about record packed. It was set for 320 people, and there were close to 100 registrations for the live Zoom that morning. So does that say something about how 2024 will go? I don't know. You'll have to listen to the show. Okay, I'm going away. You're going to hear applause, and then you will hear the full program from the NAOP January Breakfast, the Developers Roundtable. Enjoy. Okay, before I sit down, I wanted to take a moment to salute our first lady. It's been several years since we've had a woman president since Julie Cleaver. So if we could all give Cassie a second round of applause. I think that's great. You know, listening to Cassie and Nick talk about NAOP Southern Nevada, I personally have great exposure on a national level with NAOP. And it's to hear everybody's personal testimony coming up on stage today, talking about not only the past presidents that continue to pour into the organization, our executive board, our chairs for all of our committees, and the hardworking volunteers that truly help make this organization a success. Uh, We couldn't do it without you, but we are one of the most sought after chapters in the country, and other chapters look to us to replicate 
not only our programs, because we do it so flawlessly, but the way that we uh, come together in the community and, and help make each other successful. So a second round of applause for you guys and all the hard work, volunteers, committee members, board members, and past presidents in the room today. With that, I'm going to uh, ask all of our panelists to come up to the stage as I'm uh, talking through your guys' bios. We hope to give you guys um, a recap of 2023 and some insight on what we can expect in 2024. So with that, we have Mr. Frank Stefan from Howard Hughes joining us. He is the president of the Nevada region for Howard Hughes, leading the development efforts and all functions for the master plan community of Summerlin. For Frank has over 25 years experience executing complex real estate developments from New York to LA. Prior to joining Howard Hughes, he served as head of the Clariat Group's West Coast operations team, and he brings to Howard Hughes a valuable cross-disciplinary perspective from architecture, construction management, and real estate development, including the design, entitlement, and delivery of over 2 million square feet of residential development, approximately 700,000 square feet of large-scale retail and office development, and six off-Broadway theaters. That's crazy. <laughs> Next, we have uh, Mr. Matthias Hughes coming to us from Prologis. Matthias is the Vice President Investment Officer covering the Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Reno markets. Serving Investment Officer, Matthias has completed several build-to-suit deals, of which 3.1 million square feet he delivered since 2020. That's huge. He has also worked with the team to acquire or ground lease 1,200 acres of strategic land. While development is, fo is a focus in these markets, he has also worked to acquire 300 million in operating real estate. And prior to joining the capital deployment team, he has led the Reno and Las Vegas markets as their office market, uh, office market officer. Excuse me. During that time, he led the team through significant growth, with Las Vegas growing from 8 million square feet to 12.5 million square feet, and Reno from 3.4 million square feet to 6.2 million square feet on completion of their current projects. Lastly, but not least, we have Mr. Matt Nelson joining us from J.A. Kennedy Real Estate Company. Matt has decades of experience in commercial, property, acquisition, and sales, as well as structuring of real estate finance. Matt's current focus is divided into two segments, the real estate business and the land man. It's in quotes, so he's official. While wearing his retail business hat, Matt navigates and directs the acquisitions, development, and leasing of power and neighborhood shopping centers throughout the greater Las Vegas. I mean, these gentlemen's re uh, resumes are quite impressive, and their organizations have undoubtedly made huge contributions to the landscape of Southern Nevada, and we are so thankful to have you guys joining us today. Thank you for your time, and we look forward to your wisdom and insight. Thank you. Who's had their coffee this morning? You have, Sabrina. Okay. All right. 
Again, so thank you for joining us. As we begin, I wanted to reflect um, for back for a moment on last year. We started off 2023 with an unsettling understanding of the current state of our economic cycle. For the first time in two years, the industry had major concerns about the availability, the access, and the cost of capital. Um, all with varying opinions of our market fundamentals. If you ask one person, they'd say one thing. If you asked another person, they'd say another. So all of a sudden, the way deals were getting done looked a lot different. And it really caused people to pause and, and think, is now the right time to really start moving forward with our projects? Um, and we saw a slight pause in transaction activity in Q1 and Q2 as a result. However, Closing out 20, we closed out with 2023 really strong. Uh, industrial demands were at a sustainable high and vacancy at an all-time low. We had a surge of Class A office delivered to the market, leasing at uh, premium rates. Uh, retail was performing well. Low vacancy rates and lack of new construction really helped to build a reputable, a reputable demand in our market. So with all of that in mind, gentlemen, how was 2023 specifically for you, and what were some of the projects you were working on? Matt, paint us a picture of 2023. Uh, good morning. Th thanks for having us. Uh, kudos to the chapter. You guys do a great job. I, uh, I feel like 2023 was freaking treacherous. Like it was, <laughs> it, it was, there, w there was probably Q1, Q2 that was you know, that still, that still had some old legacy loans, so, sort of some, some old construction costs. And once you turn through that and you get to Q3, and obviously just the retail side, but, but when you get to Q3, um, you, you know, you're a year into high rates, you're probably, you know, six or nine months into higher costs. And Q3 and Q4 were, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say a bloodbath, they're, they're still consistent work, but, but if we're gonna talk maybe like the Thai restaurant uh, intensity scale on a one to 10, I feel like Q3 and Q4 was probably, a, I mean, a three and a half or a four uh, at max. It was, it was tough. I think that's limped into this year. Um, as it relates to the projects we've done, uh, you know, a, a good amount of, uh, you know, Starbucks deals, Chipotle deals. Uh, we're working with Wow Wash a little bit. Um, we've, we've built a five-acre neighborhood center. And then, and then on the grand scale, probably 10 times more on an intensity scale, I'd say uh, what we call St. Rose Square. I would assume that the majority of folks more affectionately refer, refer to it as the Costco Center on St. Rose Parkway. Um, but but our, our scope has been between single tenant stuff to, to the Grand Power Center for looking in the rearview mirror. And Matthias, give us a regional and local perspective of what, what the industrial market and capital markets were looking like in, in 2023. So 2023, I, the best way I think to describe it on the industrial side is interesting. Right, because it's almost a tale of two marketplaces where you have, to, to Matt's point, rising costs, we weren't immune to that. You have a rising interest rate environment which expands cap rates, and so the investment side of it became a lot more difficult. Right? If, uh, there's a lot of industrial brokers I see in this room that were at one point where we were, we were talking about cap rates in the mid to lower threes. Now cap rates, I think, are, are pretty well set in the five and a quarter sort of range. So we've seen a huge move on that, and that's caused a lot of uncertainty, that's caused a lot of people to, to reassess their investments. You know, and that's not unique just to the Las Vegas market. I oversee, like Sabrina said, Reno and Phoenix. Um, and, and, and so all these same markets have the same dynamics. And where I say it's a tale of two markets, we still see good customer pressure. We still see good rent pressure. And so you kind of combine those two, and it's just been a very 
sort of wait and see for a lot of folks. Vegas specifically, I think that the headwind is really the amount of product under construction and being delivered, right? We're 17 million square feet across the, the valley. So that's an increase of your stock of, call it 13%. In one year, we're adding 13% of inventory. So we're no longer really supply constrained and the pre-leasing is a little bit soft. That's not to say that the market is tough. The market is still historically amazing. Uh, again, I look around at some of my industrial friends in the room. It's, you know, if you would have said 10 years ago, we're in a five and a quarter cap environment, everybody in this room would have been excited. So 2020, the outlook on the capital side, I think is we're going to see things stabilize in 24, but it's going to be an interesting time still. That's great. And Frank, first, I want to welcome you and celebration of your first year completed in 2023 to the Southern Nevada market. Thank you. Thank you. How, how was uh, your 2023 experience and what was your team working on? Well, as everyone mentioned, you know, at the end of 2022, um, there was a lot of uncertainty. So the, the company as a whole, all of our regions, but I'll speak specifically about Summerlin, we, we managed our own expectations. We, we um, changed some of our projections going into 2023. And as we entered the first quarter of 2023 and, and the second quarter, we treaded lightly, but uh, we found there was a momentum. That, that picked up in 2023 as, as, we, as we went on into the third and fourth quarter. And we, um, some of the projects we were working on, just to give you an example on how things went well, more and more throughout the year, we finished our latest uh, Class A office building, 1700 Pavilion Center Drive, uh, about 260,000 square feet. And um, as of the end of 2023, we're over 90% leased on that building. Wow, that's okay, amazing. So that, that was pretty exciting. We opened up our latest multifamily building, about 300 units, within walking distance of downtown Summerlin, um, and leasing, leasing on that property is going well. We uh, substantially completed our next Class A office building in Summerlin South. That'll open in the first quarter. Um, as far as downtown, retail sales uh, exceeded all-time highs on sales price per square foot. We exceeded uh, some of our attendance daily maximums, uh, all-time highs. Uh, as far as home sales, we were, um, we were conservative with some of our projections, but we sold over a thousand new homes again uh, last year in Summerlin. And um, we're seeing that, you know, as 2023 went on, home builders were still very aggressive in, in land sales. Wow, it sounds like 2023 overall seemed to be a good year with all of that um, uncertainty in the market. That's leading us into 2024. I, I still believe there's varying opinions of, uh, of the certainty of our economy right now. We're heading into a major election cycle. And even though we're dealing with very similar market conditions from 2023, the Fed rates have stabilized. They're still at an all-time high in this, from over the past 10 years, that, or that we've seen in the past 10 years, I should say. The cost of land and construction are also high. We're still dealing with some supply chain issues, accessing material. And uh, nationwide, we're dealing with a, a shortage of skilled labor. But with all of that being said, every outlook forecast that I've uh, listened in on for 2024 has been extremely positive. What is your guys' current status of development activity in your markets? And do you have concerns entering into 2024? Matthias, Prologis had a banger year with that large land transaction last year. What can we expect from you in 2024? 
2024 is, I, I think, we're probably not going to go out and buy another 1,000 acres of land. I think we're, <laughs> we're, we're good on land for a couple of years. Um, I say probably because you never know. Um, so, but 24, um, there's going to be a couple of focuses. One is executing on what we've already got under construction. So we've got a 309,000 square footer under construction and 153,000 footer. We've got to execute on what you put out the door. The secondary thing is as we, as we look to execute those is really filling that pipeline to meet customer demand. So in 2024, I mean, I would project another three to four buildings that we'd build in this market. You know, and I think the other side of it, right, and that's, that's executing on our existing pipeline, exec executing on our land bank. The, the other side is, is to look to be opportunistic, right? I think this market is got, has got tremendous fundamentals despite the rising interest rate environment. To look at deals that offer synergy with our portfolio, that are in locations where our customers want to be. You know, continuing to look close, maybe closer in North city of North Las Vegas, maybe more infill projects like our Desert Inn one. And so what we're gonna look for in 24 is really those deals that are very much accretive to our, our strategy in this market long term. Um, yeah. That's great. Matt, what are you seeing on the land side for 2024? Uh, I, I feel like there are, you know, roughly five real big landowners. They're, they're all stubborn as a some bitch, and they ain't. Hey. They, 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 not you. I mean, to go buy a piece of land. Uh, congrats on your purchase. I, I, I think. Look, look. I think. It, it, you know, last crash. There was debt on every piece of land. A bank takes it back and will hand the keys to somebody just to carry the friggin' uh, property taxes and the insurance on it, right? We'll give you, we'll carry it at 2%, just get it out the door. And, and today, there, I mean, for the most part, there's no debt on any ground, right? And so you have, you have sellers who, uh, I, I, Tom Thomas, uh, 20 years ago, had said, you got two options. Either you meet the market or you wait for the market to come back to you. And, and I believe that, that a lot of these, a lot of the land guys today flat out wait for the market to come back to them. If their number's 30 bucks a foot today, and you say, I'm gonna wait till I get it cheaper, that, that's, it's 34 bucks in 12 months from here. And so I, I believe uh, on the land side, I just, I mean, I think generally we talk about a softening, but, but I don't see anybody selling a piece of ground at half off today in any way, shape, or form. No flash sale, huh? Negative. Okay. Uh, Frank, Howard Hughes has the most uh, diverse portfolio on the panel and c consistently develops throughout his history in Southern Nevada. What are you guys, what do you guys have in your pipeline in 2024? Uh, first I want to say I've been on both sides of the land issue and, and I sympathize because we're <laughs> in a very unique situation now where land costs not really an issue, right? We, yeah. we, we bought the land so long ago that it's a, it's a luxurious position to be in. So um, with, with that, I think um, given the size and magnitude of Summerlin, we've started to look at opportunities to, to work in different parts of Summerlin at the same time, where historically we may have focused on one or two projects at a time. Um, we're defining three different urban cores in, in Summerlin, and, and each of them developing with their own personality and characteristics. Everybody knows downtown Summerlin, a regional destination, traditional retail, multifamily and office. We're looking in Summerlin South, a more entertainment industry-based retail and dining akin to the Sportsman's Lodge in Los Angeles, if anybody knows of that project. Uh, and then up in Summerlin West, um, an urban core inspired more by cultural arts and, and health and wellness. Wow. So um, we're excited about having 
simultaneous development in different parts of Summerlin at the same time. That's amazing. Sounds, I'm curious to see the master plan of the urban corridors that Julie's put together. I know she's had her hands in that. Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> You know, Southern Nevada is continuing to diversify its economic market verticals. And over the past five years, we've, re we've really started to compete with tier one metropolitan cities, attracting national and international companies. So when you guys are looking to attract these end users, what is the differentiators or best selling points that Southern Nevada has? And what are some of the things deterring them to other markets? Frank. Having business units across the country, you have access to a client directory that is always looking to expand geographically. How, do, how does selling conversations uh, of Southern Nevada look like for you? Um, I think, you know, when, when I think about the, those conversations and, and differentiators, um, be, being the, the new kid in town, right, I, I myself had to educate myself on, on how to, to sell Summerlin and, and Las Vegas, and a lot of times, it's not differentiating, but it's educating, right? So mm -hmm. we, we, we battle or fight against the notion that, that the Las Vegas Valley is the strip. And um, we have to go out there and, and educate people in the fact that, you know, it sits at the foothills of the, the conservation area. There's an abundance of outdoor activities. We have Summerlin specifically, and, and this grows as you talk about the, the greater Las Vegas area, but, you know, 300 plus parks, 200 plus miles of trails, you know, 26 schools with, uh, you know, great reputations, public, charter, private. Um, we, you know, the, the weather, the taxes, the, you know, downtown Summerlin is an amenity, uh, an airport that connects directly to cities across the country easily. So it's, for us, it's, it's getting all these things in front of people. And, and when we don't, you know, I think when we don't win the relocation or the business or attract people, it's because we're potentially, well, they, they may not be open to really listening to everything that Southern Nevada okay. has to offer, but I also think we need to work a little harder as a community and as an industry to sort of, you know, not be as humble about what's been done here because, you know, it's, it's a wonderful place. So have a, a community message, some autonomy in, in what we're communicating. Sure. You know, uh, the greater Las Vegas, um, both Henderson and Summerlin have consistently met the top 25 list of cities to relocate in the country. And so we're doing some things right. And, and I'm glad that you brought all of that up, all of the amazing amenities that we have around us and access to uh, to different recreational facilities. I know it's a top selling point when we're talking to clients. Matthias, okay, this could get a little tricky for you. Being Sounds good. That <laughs> I'm, in the fact that you represent Phoenix, Reno, and Las Vegas. You have some national and international clients that you're speaking to, and I, I, I know for a fact that you've probably had a client or two that come, has come to you prospecting all three markets. How are you selling Southern Nevada? What, are you, what does that look like? Man, I, so, so I'm gonna level set here because I said there's two questions I can't answer. Is one, like talking about like, what's going on in California, and two, what's talking about our customer behavior. So no, I, it's gonna be, um, so when I talk to our customer base, um, it, Southern Nevada is not a tough sell on the industrial side. It's a, it, candidly, it's a pretty darn easy sell. And it really starts, um, it starts at the ease of doing business. 
these big multinationals have, have locations all over the place. And when they call up and they say, hey, you know, we like your site, what's the entitlement process? And it's, well, we're going to go pull a permit. Right? They, they're like, that can't be true. Right? And so, so that plays into to their confidence in being able to get a facility up and running on a timeline. Right? And, so you're, and then the second thing is, is really we're, we're located, as everybody in this room knows, at such a crucial transportation nexus. Right? Southern California, Arizona, within a half-day truck drive, that's 9% of the US population. So if you need to get something there same day, you can serve it out of Vegas at a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the hassle as our neighbors to the west. <clears throat> Where it does become more tricky in my business is really um, is competing against Phoenix. You know, Phoenix and Vegas, they're very similar in terms of their market dynamics, very similar in their cost structure. Um, and I remember, I think it was maybe two years ago, I sat up here, so I'm going to steal this from Keith Ernest. He was sitting in that seat right there. Where <laughs> Vegas excels, if you go six hours south of us now, you hit Phoenix. If you go six hours south of Phoenix, you hit Mexico. So we're able to hit more customers in, in a quicker amount of time. And so for the logistics people, the logistics customers, it's, it's a super strategic location. So you layer those two factors together, and it's, it's a great place to do business. You mentioned the entitlements process. So would you say, on, um, in general, we are doing it a little bit quicker than our competitors, or less kinks in the, or I, what I, is your experience? So yeah, we're doing a better job here than Southern California, for sure. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah. Every, every, every deal is a little different, right? Um, and every, every, you know, every site has a little bit of nuance. And there's, there's certain hot buttons for, for uh, Clark County. There's certain hot buttons for the city of North Las Vegas. But what I appreciate, not that there's hot buttons or not that there's, there's, there's challenges, it's that they're consistently applied, right? And so as a developer, if we go in one day and, you know, I see Terry, you know, if I call Terry in the city of North Las Vegas and I'm like, hey, I've got this great site, and she says one set of rules, and then I call three days later and it's, oh, this is a new set of rules, that's when it becomes frustrating. And so the city and the municipalities here do a great job. Even when things change, things are consistent going forward, and that's, it, it's predictability. Yeah, that's been my experience. Matt, what would you say dealing with national franchise brands always prospecting Las Vegas as their home would be the biggest challenge that you come across when talking to those companies? Uh, I, I think it's probably getting them, uh, getting them to understand our market. It's sort of that educational experience first. You know, they'll, they'll get on a, the Google machine or, or something else, and they'll go, there's all this land everywhere. I want the other corner. And you'll say, you can't get it. You can go apply to the BLM and talk about maybe getting it at a public auction in two to three years, but that's not a viable solution. I had, uh, I, I had one of the, uh, they'll remain nameless, but one of those groups that is a golf-inspired uh, happy facility. And, and, <laughs> and, they, and, and they call and they say, here's what we need. We need a piece that's like 400 or 500 wide by maybe 1,000 to 1,200 long, and we'd like it to be right on the doorsteps of Frank's neighborhood or right on the doorsteps of, of all these middle, middle, upper neighborhoods. And you're like, I mean, there's three pieces. They're 40 bucks a foot. They're not a rectangle. It's not going to be perfect for you. And, and it's, in, it's a quick discussion because they 
they, uh, they, they no longer are interested in working with me, which I don't blame them, but um, they, they understand that it's not as easy as they think it is. So, so I think when you get tenants from other markets that say it's the desert, there's land everywhere, and there's that educational experience that says, you know what, it's not, uh, it's not like you think. But, it's um, not everywhere. We don't access all of that land everywhere, for sure. But let's talk emerging markets for a second. Last year, we had all sorts of new markets dominating the headlines last year, from sporting uh, arenas to film studios. We had large distribution facility, parks and um, centers, uh, as well as bio and financial technology companies prospecting here, and renewable energies. What would you guys say is the next big thing coming to Southern Nevada with your current market activity? And are you guys seeing any trends pop up? Frank, why don't you start us out uh, with this question? Okay. Um you know, I think that the sports thing is really interesting, right? Because it's, although it's not just beginning, it started, I think the momentum has got a ways to go because I think Vegas is headed to be the sports capital of the country and the collateral impact on all assets of that is tremendous. Um, we have the Las Vegas ballpark. It's, you know, community serving, but it's a sense of place. It, it spills into downtown. We have the practice facility of the Golden Knights. Um, which is which is going from five in the morning till after midnight with people using the ice from youth sports to the to the team itself practicing there so i and and i just think that you know i what i didn't realize until i got here was how unique the audience for the sporting events are in vegas that how often people come in to see their hometown play somewhere else mm -hmm. and spend a weekend or spend some time in vegas so I, I think that's you know we're i think we'll get the nba i think we'll get mls i think you know we'll get we'll get a bunch more things and i think that is going to continue to have a big impact on um, you know patrons of retail and and people wanting to relocate offices and people wanting to buy homes here so you you're thinking you know with all the the markets entering our markets with sports complex we're going to see second generate or second um, uh, tier companies servicing the sporting facilities Absolutely. trickle in and Absolutely. sports medicine and yep. technology and all of that Matthias with your big parks, what does the activity look like when end users are processing, um, are considering coming to Southern Nevada? Are you seeing any new trends pop up outside of uh, the ones that we've yeah. experienced in 2023? Or yeah, so I mean, I think being mindful of time, I think I would point to a couple of things. With our with labor is going to be a consistent through line in this market, I think, for a very long time. You know, and as as employees drive past strip casinos, as they go by, I mean, what's what's the the best possible um, labor decision for for these these folks that work in warehouses or could work in a casino? I think that's going to be one thing. So on our big site out at um, out at Apex, you know, that, we, that we've rebranded the hub. So at the hub, we talked to a lot of our customers, and they they gave us a, a lot of pretty instructive information on on what labor needs to look like out there in order for it to be a success. And obviously we purchased it, so we were pretty comfortable. Um, I think the second thing is really power. The, the power company here does, I think, a, a fantastic job, but they're gonna have some challenges ahead of them simply because if you look at some of these warehouses, right, you're gonna have, all of them have HVAC, table stakes. Mm -hmm. Users now, they want EV charging, 
for their employees. And then truck charging is, is coming. I mean, whether, whether we like it or not is a different conversation as a, as a group, but I personally think it's great, and it's, and it's definitely going to be the wave of the future. So as we look at these large sites, it's how can you get power, and how can we service our, uh, how, how can we attract labor? And so those are the, really the two main things I've seen. Okay, so you would say that in terms of renewable energies, biotech companies, like what type of companies are coming into your buildings that you're seeing? I mean, we typically lease to essentially logistics companies, right? And I mean, I think as we talk about ESG um, and a the, the lot of the corporate initiatives, one of the big building we're wrapping up in North Las Vegas right now, they were putting a lease of wood, no, I think a 1.6 megawatt solar system on the roof. So some of these customers really, really want to see that. And it's not just the biotech firms. It's not just the, you know, the, 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 fancy, the fancy names. It's really any company that's got any sort of ESG goals. And those are becoming more and more pervasive in the marketplace. Okay. And, and Matt, what would you say um, in, the, in the retail world has been dropped on your door, doorstep as a trend in your activity? I, I feel like we're start. I, I don't want to use the phrase mixed use. I think mixed use is very difficult to figure out. I think our market has always been a, a hell of a retail center with, with some residential bolted on as an afterthought. Or, or the inverse of that is a, is a hell of a residential development with some retail bolted on as an afterthought. Never, neither one of those have worked well. But I think, I think we're, we're starting to see a little bit more, you know, mixed, uh, you know, multi-use places. I, I think these guys are incorporating some gas and some food into uh, some of their developments now. You look at some of the stuff Frank's doing and it's not, I, I mean, it, it's more clustery where there's a little bit more ability to do more things in a, in a rifle approach environment. If you, look, if you look at what happened today, we all left our houses, got in our cars, sort of drove to this facility, hung here for a while. We're gonna drive another six to eight miles down the street to go to a plant somewhere. We're gonna maybe drive to a restaurant. We're gonna go back to the plant. We're gonna drive home and probably drive right back that restaurant that we drove by, drive by a grocery store, stop, and then go home. And, and if we can mix in something where, where there's some, some more integral master plans where there's a little bit more in a tighter, confined environment, yeah. um, I, I think it would just do a ton for our town. Look, it, we're, we're a... I mean, go ahead. No, go ahead. We're, I mean, the, the, our town has an incredible entrepreneurial spirit. It is a it is a high growth, low tax town. I feel like we used to be, you know, really worried about getting to that two million figure. We passed the two million figure, and I swear we're all going to blink, and it's going to be three million. And so our town is set up uh, incredibly. We, we've done some incredible things. Um, I, I had a guy from EY, you know, 20 years ago, said he was underwriting a project. He was either calling from a 212 or a 213 number. I don't remember. But he said, how do you get over people thinking it's a cultural backwater? And I had some choice words for him. And, and, uh, and, and people don't say that anymore. People don't say any of that anymore. So we're on the stage. I, I don't think it's, it's a matter of getting on the stage. We're flat freaking in the middle of the stage. And I think all we got to do is the simple things right. And, and I mean, we're attracting people left and right here. Yeah, I would say in my experience with large land plays, uh, building large lo logistic locations, they're really truly building an ecosystem around those large 
distribution facilities to not only house them with residential, but give them the creature comforts that they need from grocery stores to short stay, extended stay hotels, and really trying to keep them, um, it's the flight for to equality, uh, so that they really don't have to go outside the, uh, a certain radius of their working environment. And that's what I've seen. Um, before we turn the, uh, the discussion over to Q&A, I wanted to say thank you, but also wanted you guys to put on your fortune-telling robes for just a minute. I wanted to do a little fun question. Um, what would be your best prediction of our markets in Southern Nevada and what would they look like in 2025 if we were, um, when we're sitting here this time next year at the NAOP breakfast? This is for anyone to jump in on. For us, uh, 2024 is, is really a year of pre-development. So mm -hmm. um, this time next year, I would hope that we'd be able to share information on uh, more than a half dozen projects that we were breaking ground on soon. Exciting. So I'm going to go with an even more exciting update. I think the 10 years is probably going to stabilize, hopefully in the four-ish range. I know everybody loves talking about yields. I mean, and I think that stabilization in the 10-year over, over the next 12 months is, is going to give developers, lenders, customers more certainty in their capital, uh, their capital decisions. Mm -hmm. And we'll see a more normalizing of demand where it's not so, hey, we're building 17 million square feet, then nothing. And now 17 and nothing. It'll be a more regress to the mean over the long term sort of discussion. <laughs> They, they call me Mr. Sunshine at the office, not because of all my positive things I have to say from time to time. I, I think it's going to be a rough going. Uh, it, it's six months of uh, retail, right? I believe, you know, rising tides lift all boats. And I think, the, you know, these guys are going to carry us through. Some of the other segments are going to carry us through. I think retail is going to struggle. It's going to be build-a-suit stuff. It's going to be single-tenant stuff. It's going to be nothing speculative in any way, shape, or form. Um, I believe there's going to be a Costco center out of the ground at Buffalo in 215. I believe Hank Gordon might do something out in the east against the 215. Frank's going to deliver a killer grocery center at the corner of Sahara and town center. Um, but absent that, I mean, nobody's building, nobody's specking 30,000 feet of shop space. Uh, I feel like it's, it's a tough six months. Hopefully, there's this momentum uh, that, that kicks in, maybe Q3. I'm not going to predict that rates are going to drop like a prune through the human body, um, but they are, going to, uh, they are going to, I think, reel back a little bit, and I think we'll get some freedom come to Q3. Of 25? This year. This of year, this year? A little bit of rate relief this year. OK. We'll help the momentum. OK, where's Dan at? Thank you very much, Sabrina. Um, thank you, everyone here. We have over 300 people in the audience and probably 100 online. So record attendance. And Matt, I think going forward, we're going to ask every question is, what's the tie rating of your real estate deals for everyone on the panel? <laughs> Frank, there's a question. You're, you're in LA still in, in commuting, perhaps, is that? Which you at, said. The, at the moment, I'm trans. Yeah. So the question Work is, week, I'm here. you said you had to educate people, customers and tenants and all this about coming to LA. What's your personal experience about coming to Las Vegas and the quality of life that we actually have in Summerlin has? You know, when 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 I mentioned about educating others, it was really based on personal experience, my level of understanding of what Summerlin was and what the Vegas Valley offered. 
prior to first being introduced to the opportunity. And um, you know, clearly, um, I'm preaching to the choir. But the more you, the more you learn, the more you like. And um, you know how thoughtfully Summerlin, by my predecessor and a great team, has been thoughtfully planned and implemented um, was was really impressive to me. And and all the things that that being here and, and living here offers, um, I I immediately realized that there's just an opportunity to inform so many more. And yes, I think that the, the migration's real and people are standing at the doorstep and, and wanna be here. But I also think that there's a lower percentage of people than we actually think that really know how, how great it is. I, um, you know, just, I can speak from personal experience with colleagues, friends, and others from Southern California that are, are still getting informed and up to speed on what great opportunity there here is, is here in Southern Nevada. Matthias, Apex used to be a very tough sell, and now it's not a tough sell, and the largest REIT in the world, you guys, decided to go in for 1,000 acres. What, when did that decision come about, or what was behind it? Scarcity of land, or obviously uh, so you have a customer base? It's hard to point to just one thing. Um, I think one is a conviction in a forward-looking investment in Las Vegas. I mean, I think our customers want to be here. Our, we, we've had a tremendous amount of momentum um, operating our real estate, um, growing this real estate organically. And so we've, it's a really a, a high-conviction market. The second thing that I would point to is really, it was, it was kind of a moment in time transaction where we looked at it and we said, hey, this is, this is the right call to buy this unfinished land and then really put our expertise to work to finish it. Um, and, and, and then, you know, it's also a little bit of, you know, California is a continually tough place to operate, right? We have a ton of real estate there and we, we love California still. But it's a tough place to operate and develop and deploy capital for your customers. So looking at it as sort of a, uh, as a counterbalance to, to California in a, an entitled, great place to operate and do business. What's your strategic plan for um, building out that huge park? If anybody wants to bring customers, we will do build-a-suits all day long, as, fa as fast and as profitable as possible is our plan. Um, no, I, so we have a ton of holdings, and this is doesn't need to be a prologist sort of advertisement, but I mean, we've got uh, 670 that we can go on Speedway North, that's uh, on North Belt Road. We've got the stuff on uh, Las Vegas Boulevard in the 15, we can go to another 2.3 million feet, and it's gonna take us about 30 months to get the substation, the water line, the irrigation channel, or the, the drainage channel all completed. And so as we look at it, it's sort of gapping our project, so we, we could build two, three, four, however many buildings on spec every year from now until Steph's gonna kill me on the underwriting, but I think 2041. <laughs> so we can, I mean, we can really look to continue that momentum in the long run. But we'll do it all today if somebody has a build a suit that's great. One of the first, uh, I had somebody ask me, one of the guys at the office said, do you know the golden rule? And I said, do unto a, no, not that dummy. <laughs> He who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. And in this environment, you take these guys that have the land. And, and we're in a, you know, there's some supply coming. And you turn through that supply and you get back to intensity level, an eight out of 10 or nine out of 10, and people fly in here. And, and these guys, I mean, with this amount of land that they have, 
I mean, you, you got the, you got to buy the tail. You can do anything you want when you have that land. Congrats on the acquisition, but, but there's not, I mean, there's not a lot of people that can show up in town and say, I want a million two feet when there's no availability. You got to come to you to do a building suit. I think Matt just said I have a really easy job. I don't, that's, yeah. that's what I, that's what I heard. I don't know. That's what I heard. <laughs> so Matt, on that subject, uh, both Matthias and Frank have said, you know, compared to Los Angeles regulations, pretty easy here. What do you find when you're developing some of your projects on regulation? Uh, I believe we've been incredibly spoiled based on uh, the, how nimble the jurisdictions were, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. I think today there's becoming some challenges. Um, I, I know it's hard to talk about. Nobody wants to talk about it. I'm the one that gets the grenade and has to talk about it. Um, the, I, I believe, um, you know, when COVID hit, there were a lot of folks that were tenured and they left the jurisdictions because I believe they were scared that they could pay their salaries and they went to PERS and they collected PERS and those salaries are no longer existent. But some of those people were the ones that had the hammer and the ability to make a decision at one of the jurisdictions pretty quickly and today it's a little challenged in that environment. Um, I get some stuff. I got, a, I got a, a request for a drainage waiver from public, a request for a drainage easement from public works on a county-owned piece of property, and the two can't reconcile with each other. And so there's some challenges from time to time. I think it, today it's worse than it's been, but I do believe it's, it's obviously better than, than LA or, or San Francisco, where it takes you, you know, three to five years to entitle a project. Mm -hmm. Frank, there's a uh, several questions just on downtown Summerland. Uh, the next phase, retail tenants, tenants that we don't really know about, the type of tenants, but they're all over the thing. So here's a little sales pitch for you on downtown Summerlin. Um, we've been spending a lot of time on all three urban cores, and, and one of those happens to be downtown Summerlin. We've got um, just east of downtown Summerlin, 90 acres of, of land still to develop. Uh, we are completing the, the Whole Foods and inline retail adjacent to our most recent um, multifamily building. And we have a master plan that's going to bring more Class A office space, more multifamily buildings, more retail, um, some neighborhood serving retail hubs within that land that's yet to be developed. So we're, we're really excited about the next phase of downtown Summerlin. And, and as far as retail tenants, um, you know, like any, we've got 1.2 million square feet of retail. Like any center, we have tenants that roll and leave, and uh, we're, you know, we're really thankful that we, we backfill those um, in ways that we feel even elevates the tenant mix. And for the audience, any more questions, please get them to me. Uh, Matthias, big box, user, big box users coming into our market in the 500,000 to a million dollar or million square foot range. How's that activity today? Or what's it look like in 2024, 2025? So uh, that- Je Not just for your company, also for the, the town. No, we can, we can kind of talk about tenant, the, the, the sort of overall demand. That's totally fine. I think it's regressed to a normal environment. I mean, if, if you got in the business two years ago and you thought that was normal, where your tenants and market list was 75 people deep and it's the who's who and you know, you've got three RFPs on every building and it's just great, nobody underwrites any downtime anymore. That's not normal. That's never, I, 
it could happen again, but it shouldn't. It's, it's just not a normal way of doing things. So I think right now demand for the big box users is, is okay. It's historically good. Where we have challenges here is there's, I think, you know, Dermody's got a 600, Keith at Vantress has a couple of buildings, the Moonwater guys have a million footer, and then the um, North Point guys have a million footer. That sounds like a lot of real estate, but I compare it to my other market in Phoenix where there is nine one million square footers, right? So kind of conceptualize that nine one million square footers under construction right now or in completion that are vacant. And so if you need that, you're, we're competing on those big requirements a lot more against Phoenix because their, their base rent is lower, their operating expenses are a little bit higher, their labor's a little bit different, it's just, there's some different things. But those, those users are, are looking around. I think the stabilization in sort of the debt and the, the capital markets will help those users hopefully increase their demand over, over time. When did, when did the nine million square, uh, square footers uh, deliver in Phoenix and, and how long has it been since, I mean, are they challenged with uh, backfilling those or? or? I mean, mo some of them are under, still under construction. Ours is gonna finish in April or May. Mm -hmm. um, some have been sitting for three or four months. So, I mean, it's not like it's, not like it's anything's been sitting for three or four years, yeah. right? So you would say probably the the new norm, but back to stabilization is in in the range of two hundred thousand uh, square feet to five hundred thousand square feet. No, I of think demand. I, I think we I think we still see a trend towards large, larger users in this market. I think okay. there's a lot of dynamics for it. It's are we going to see thirty of them in a year, or are we going to see five of them in a year? And if I had to put my money on one or the other, I'm guessing you're probably going to see five of these you know, six to a million square footers a year, which is still historically great. I mean, I see Donna over there. If I would have told you 10 years ago that we we're going to have three to five million square feet of net positive net absorption, everybody, everybody in the industrial world would be ecstatic. That's a great number. So. What are, you, what are your guys' feelings about the, the, to just the, the secondary markets of Southern Nevada that are now getting a lot of traction, the Jeans and Sloan's and El Dorado Valley? So it's funny, I was asked the same question 48 hours ago on a panel in Phoenix, except about Tucson and Nogales. And so we typically try and stay in, in, inside of urban areas, um, or as close to urban areas as we possibly can. And I, admittedly, Gene is what, from where we sit today, 20, 25 minutes. It's not like it's three and a half hours away. But from a prologist perspective, and when, I, when I'm looking at, at investing in real estate, I'm not looking in super duper outlying areas. It's really going to be focused as close to population and labor as possible. Frank, you talk about the offer. The question's about the office um, supply in the valley. Your 1700s full, uncommons is full, narratives virtually full or full. Um, what's your take on the office market valley wide? Las Vegas. Um, <clears throat> I, we're we're still we're still bullish on on office. Um, we think you know the the flight to quality, the the buildings located in the right area. We're we're very focused on Class A office space uh, within walking distance of downtown Summerlin. You know, a, a neighbor to our 1700 Pavilion Center Drive um, is where we're planning our next pipeline Class A office building. I think that <clears throat> you know there's we all watch office on a on a more macro level. 
nationally and, and as um, over the next year or so, it'll be interesting to see how some of these secondary markets or buildings that aren't on Main and Main or buildings that aren't really amenitized, um, what happens when they are given back to banks or sell for huge discounts, um, how much that affects the national mindset of people we have to deal with, lenders and investors and so forth, will be interesting to see how it plays out. But I think, you know, um, the Vegas Valley, Summerlin specifically, places like that, places like Culver City in California, there's still a much higher demand than supply in those markets for quality office. So we're, we're looking forward with some pipeline projects. With those B-class office uh, product and, you know, second gen, when do you see or do you see at all the conversion of office to multifamily like some <clears throat> of our bigger uh, neighboring cities are doing? Are, do you see that come into Las Vegas at all? Um, it's, it's, tough. it's tough for me to say without knowing the actual supply. You know, in my previous employer, we looked at a lot of those adaptive reuse possibilities. And the truth is, based on the geometry of a building, a floor plate, um, and, and other factors, a much lower percentage of office buildings are convertible to something like residential than you actually think. And um, sometimes it's, it's better to just um, scrap the building and, and, and start, start over. over. Um, but yeah, so I, I think the, you know, I, a quick story. So we, um, in Hollywood, California, we, we purchased a building for $27.5 million. We put about $14 million into it. At the end, it was $41 million that we had in. Um, we repositioned it. We, we went for the sort of creative, off how do you take an older building, make a creative office space? We exposed the walls, exposed brick, polished the concrete floors, exposed ceilings. We took the rent from under $2 a foot to over $4 a foot. And we wound up exiting that at the right time for a, a buyer gave us $71 million on a $41 million investment, which was great. But four and a half years later, more recently in the last 12 months, the buyer who bought it from us just sold it for $27 million. So there, there's going to be there's going to be things like that that ha that happen. Um, okay. Now that building, I will tell you that that wasn't sort of. I mean, it was Hollywood, California. East Hollywood is very bullish, you know, with Netflix and others there. But that building was a building that was sort of pushing the envelope because it was in Hollywood, California, and it didn't have parking. But at the peak of what was going on in office, you know, it was it had a cool factor. There were some of the right tenants in there. And um, you know now when you break it down to you need the fundamentals of a fully amenitized building with all the things that you need, um, there's, there's buildings out there that are just going to be obsolete. Yeah, I agree. Thank Our you. Thank you very much. I mean, it's the quality of the panelists that drives the attendance. Take it home, Cassie. Thank you, Cassie. Congratulations, your first year. Thank you. Thank you very much. And yes, crazy that I'm the fourth female president uh, for 34, 36 years of this chapter. Uh, but Reed actually had said it best, as he usually does when he has to remind me of perspective. Uh, I said, wow, I, how am I only the fourth? And he goes, right, but you're the second in two years, because Julie was in 2023, or four years, I should say. Um, and I was like, you know what, that's right. So again, it's all in how you look at things. And if you haven't seen the 
blooper reel from Julie and I doing a virtual spotlight in 2020. Uh, she does play a mean kazoo. <laughs> so maybe I should show that at February's breakfast. Uh, I did have the pleasure of singing along with Julie while she played the kazoo in 2020. So if you don't know that, um, you're Memories welcome, Julie. Of the uh, <laughs> so thank you again to our panelists and to Sabrina for moderating. I'm very, very grateful for all three of you agreeing to put yourselves out there for us. And Matthias, thank you for the socks. Very appreciative from the audience. Um, thank you very much. So without further ado, I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Don't forget that the February breakfast program is one week earlier. So in three weeks, I will see you all here again on February 8th. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.